Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episode 27 Chapter 21 Charon Parts of this story involve depictions of sexual violence and abuse. It's important to know there are people and resources available to help. No one should ever suffer in silence. No one should ever be ignored. If you need help, RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-N, has a lot of resources, including a 24-hour helpline. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. 1-800-656-4673. This podcast is not associated with RAIN, but they are a wonderful resource dedicated to making the world a better place. This week we're discussing Chapter 21, Charon and Canto V of Dante's Inferno. Before entering the Second Circle, Dante and Virgil are confronted by King Minos. He stands in judgment of all the sinners and decides where each of them goes. Each lost soul stands before him and confesses their sins. He has a long serpent's tail that wraps around them. The number of times it coils around them is in direct relation to where they will be sent. If it coils around them three times, they go to the third circle. If it coils around them five times, they go to the fifth circle. And so on and so on. Like Charon before, Minos is not happy to see Dante where he doesn't belong. And once again... Virgil steps in and instructs him to step aside and allow safe passage. Dante and Virgil continue into the second circle. This circle is lust. There is a large storm of whirling winds throwing the souls around. Several of them are named, and Dante asks if he can talk to one of them. Here he meets Francesca of Rimini who tells him the story of how she was reading the tale of Sir Lancelot and Guinevere, alone with her brother-in-law, when one thing led to another. Her husband found out of their lustful and adulterous affair and murdered them. Thus, they ended up here. Common interpretations of this is that the storm is symbolic of the way lovers are swept up in the chaos of love and act without reason. Thus, they are swept into the chaos of the storm and thrown about without reason. Darker Days takes from Dante a lot of the same themes, but offers a fairly big departure as well. King Minos sits in a pool of boiling blood. He speaks to Dorothy, but is not particularly hostile. In fact, he even tells Vel to take care of and watch out for her. My depiction of Minos is that his head is a dark cloud, a void, that takes many different forms. He retains his serpent's tail, however, which coils around Dorothy a total of seven times. 
he allows them to pass through without a fight or any real resistance. Dante's vision of lust is harsh, but it's also somewhat sympathetic. Dante in the poem is also sympathetic to the plight of these sinners. Later on in the poem, however, as he witnesses more horrors, he becomes more hardened, more cynical even. Dorothy and Vel travel into the city of Charon. It's split down the middle by the river Acheron. This river shows up earlier in darker days, when Mister is running away from the hornets. Though I did not name it in that chapter, it's the same river. I like the idea that these characters are seemingly traveling the same path, but are experiencing vastly different things. It's almost as though they are traveling parallel with each other, just barely missing each other at times. The streets here are filled with sex and chaos. Dorothy witnesses an act of depravity when two hermaphrodites attack a man on the street. I'm not sure if it's offensive. When I wrote this, gender politics wasn't quite what it is today as I record this. Though, even if it was, I don't think this chapter would be all that different. The use of hermaphrodites isn't meant to say that hermaphrodites as people are the depiction of depravity, but instead to say that in the streets of this city, gender is not defined. They are all genders and no genders. I couldn't have them all be amorphous beings to symbolize no gender, because the assault Dorothy witnesses wouldn't be as visually disturbing or impactful. Also, if you whitewash everything in service of being woke or inoffensive, then what are you really doing? This is, after all, a horror novel one that is largely based on an ancient depiction of hell. In the original text, I had transvestites instead of hermaphrodites. I wasn't trying to be edgy or offensive. I simply used the wrong word. I always meant hermaphrodite. If you're one of the very few people to have a copy of the original... I apologize for using the wrong term. The fact that I ignorantly confused the two terms is probably offensive in a hyper-woke world anyways. Again, I apologize. More for the poor quality of work than anything else. A storm falls upon the city, and Dorothy and Vell take refuge in one of the massive buildings. In my version of this circle, the sinners are not being thrashed around by the storm, but those outside are subjected to the harsh weather. Dorothy never meets a Francesca equivalent here. Instead, I opted for my own take on what would bring someone to this particular place. Here they find themselves in an orgy of filth. Cages hang from the ceiling, and on the floor... Women masturbate around a man who is unable to pleasure himself. Vell describes this man as a serial rapist. She tells Dorothy that his form of rape was psychological. 
that he never physically touched anyone. Instead, he demoralized women by forcing them to masturbate for his own carnal desires. His punishment is that he can no longer think good thoughts of himself or give himself pleasure, even though he is surrounded by women. Vell explains that the women here are not innocent either. They sold their bodies not because they had to, but because they wanted to. When I wrote this, I was worried that people might project this rigid set of rules as my own personal philosophy, that I'm judging people for their choices. If a person wants to be a porn star on OnlyFans or generate likes on TikTok by bouncing around in skimpy outfits or thirst traps or whatever, that's up to them. More power to them, I guess. Although I do tend to dislike those types of accounts, though it's not on necessarily moral grounds, it's more that I just don't like vanity or attention-seeking behavior. I also don't like influencer culture in general, or YouTubers that make a living out of doing stupid things or pranking each other. So, take from this what you will. Anyway, this is more of a comment on Dantean logic, which is a very medieval Catholic logic. Some might even drop the medieval from that statement and just say, it's Catholic logic. Cages holding fornicators hang from the ceiling, and when the storm shakes the building, they rattle, causing them to spill various bodily fluids that then rain down on everyone below. This is not particularly symbolic of anything. It's just meant to add a little extra grossness. If a person wants to prescribe some kind of deeper meaning to it, they certainly can. Art is entirely subjective. But for me, when I wrote this, I just wanted lust to be a little more gross. I don't claim to be a profound writer, a prolific thinker, theologian, anything like that. And I certainly don't claim to be any number of catchy phrases or buzzwords. In fact, I hate terms like edgy and pushing the envelope. I won't tell you that this story is particularly original, because in reality it's, well, not. Most of the characters aren't mine, the source material is borrowed, and the setting has been done a thousand times before, and probably better and will be done a thousand times again. Probably better. I will say this, though. For me, Dark Days of Dorothy Gale went as far as my own personal comfort level would allow. It wasn't so far out there that it was pushing boundaries or walking any kind of fine societal line. In fact... Looking back at most of it, I feel that 
90% of it was pretty tame PG-13 stuff. Darker Days is the natural evolution of that. A hard R. Maybe even X-rated at times. Writing this book, and now recording this podcast, has been a very personal journey and an intense labor of love. I stepped up to my previous line, to the edge of my previous comfort level, and I stepped over it. I found a new comfort level and approached it with caution and stopped when I felt it was too much for me to handle. That isn't to say it's groundbreaking, because it's not. It's nowhere near the level of writers like Stephen King or Nick Cutter. But for me, it went as far as I was willing to go. This chapter, this vile look at sexual depravity, isn't the first moment in this book to step beyond that threshold. But still, it was difficult for me to come to terms with on a personal level. We have seen atrocities from Reginald. We have witnessed trauma through Tipitarius. There has been rape, sodomy, torture, and all kinds of abuse. I don't know if this chapter is worse or even on par with previous chapters. That's up to you to decide. But to me, there is something about this that feels like... I don't know how to explain it. It just has a voyeuristic edge to it that makes me feel a little bit gross and a little bit uncomfortable. My fascination with the Inferno is largely in the fact that while Dante is traveling through this world with Virgil, he's still, at heart, a tourist, especially in these early cantos. He's somehow on the outside looking in, even though he's right there. He's a witness, an examiner. He's studying morality and defining the consequences of what he considers to be morally corrupt choices. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have or goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is very possible, by all means, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show. I don't know why you're listening if you don't, but like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. You can always contact me on Twitter. It's at DarkDorothyG. You can email me at DarkDaysOfDorothyGale at Outlook.com. I've also set up a Dark Days TikTok. 
That is also at Dark Dorothy G. At the moment, it's mostly artwork related to the show, some sound clips from earlier episodes and all that kind of fun stuff. I think it's interesting. Nobody else seems to think it's all that interesting, but I do. Surely that counts for something. Anyway, you can always find me other places around the internet as well. Instagram, another TikTok account, or yes, another Twitter account, because apparently I'm a glutton for social media punishment. Those accounts are at the ordinary sun. That's S U N. That TikTok doesn't have much Dark Days content, it's mostly video games and memes there. My Instagram is a mishmash of stuff, and my non Dark Days Twitter account is a mix of Dark Days content, complaints about Elon Musk, and short-form news radio fanfiction. And of course, if social media isn't quite your jam, there is always the official Dark Days website, ddofdg.com. As of this recording, it has some cool Dark Days of Dorothy Gale merchandise, a small amount of Darker Days merchandise, along with a collection of artwork, such as photography and sketches. Also, I've pulled Darker Days from Amazon. As I started to record this, I realized it wasn't quite up to my personal standards. Some things just needed to be changed and fixed and... And honestly, if I'm going to collect money on something, I want it to be, at the very least, up to my standards. It might not be up to yours. I hope it is. But if it's not, it at least needs to be up to mine. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go about that anyway. If, for some reason, you do want to support me as an artist, financially, that is, you can always go to buymeacoffee.com slash ordinarysun. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I'll give you a shout-out on this wildly unsuccessful and obscure podcast. I'll even send you a handwritten thank-you note complete with a fun little sketch. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's fine too. I'm happy to do this either way. So come back next week for Chapter 22 of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. Knitfis. Thanks for listening. I love you all.